This is The Radical Therapist, a space where we explore the intersections of collaborative therapy, philosophy, art and science and technology in a post-Freud, post-psychology world. Welcome to The Radical Therapist. This is your host, Chris Hoff, and we are now at episode number 53. And Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back. Had a bit of a break, and I hope that's okay. I did some traveling over the holidays, and that was kind of a fascinating experience and needed, well needed. And uh, now I'm ready. I'm ready for 2019 and ready to bring you lots of new content here on the Radical Therapist podcast, starting with our, our first one of the year here with... Uh, Nicole Dixon from the Institute for Creative Conversations in South Africa. And we're going to talk about narrative pastoral therapy, um, doing kind of spirituality and religion and counseling. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, but before we get there, uh, I guess I have one quick announcement. I have started a Patreon page. So if you like what's going on here or... Um, uh, want to? I'm going to start doing some more kind of videos, training, maybe training-like videos, talking about different topics, maybe going a little more in depth, uh, different ideas, different theory, uh, philosophy, that kind of thing. And I'm going to try to put that content on the Patreon page first. And uh, but if you're interested in buying me a cup of coffee or supporting the work that we do here. Um, go check out the Radical Therapist Patreon page. I think you just go on to Patreon and search Radical Therapist. Um, maybe I'll try to put a link on the webpage. But uh, that's the big news so far of the year. There's a, a Radical Therapist Patreon page. And, of course, you can find the Radical Therapist on YouTube and uh, and all the social media, the Instagram and the Facebook and all that stuff. So uh, if you're new to the podcast, please um, look for us on the social media and uh, you can stay in touch and keep up with what's going on via that. So um, yeah, so that's it. I'm just going to go right into the show right now. And like I said, before we do that, I, I have a lot of content going up. So we got some great um, episodes coming. So stay tuned for that. But this is a uh, uh, this is our first one of the year, and I'm really happy that um, I was able to. Nicole and I were able to connect and have this conversation about um, narrative, uh, uh, the narrative po model, and pastoral care. And so, uh, a little bit about Nicole. Uh, Nicole uh, Dixon heads up the Institute for Creative Conversation, an NPO situated in Benoni. The institute was created at the end of 2013 by Nicole and Reverend Trevor Hudson. The Institute for Creative Conversation explores ways to weave narrative practices and pastoral theology into a meaningful narrative of care, offering narrative training encounters, workshops of learning, reading groups, and conversations in order to construct meaningful ways of being with others in our local context, cultures, and communities. And they do have a uh, training, a two-year certificate training coming up, which we'll talk about in the interview, but also there'll be a link in the show notes to look for that. 
Uh, and Nicole has a master's uh, in th- theology um, uh, with a focus in pastoral therapy and has hosted a bunch of narrative folks that you would know, like David Epstein and Jeff Zimmerman and Thomas Stone Carlson in South Africa and, and is trained under various folks. So uh, a lot of great experience uh, that we're going to get to hear from. And I'm excited about that. So without further ado, let's meet Nicole. Okay, welcome to The Radical Therapist, Nicole. Thank you. Very happy to uh, have you here. I, I know we've been talking about doing this for a little while, and and now, mm. now we're making it happen, so I'm excited about that. Yes, um, thank I, you, I am too. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, to kind of tackle some of the topics that we're going to go over today, but I guess I wanted to start by asking you about the mission for you're part of the Institute for Creative Conversations in South Africa. And I I guess I wanted to know a little bit about that organization and what your mission or focus is and what you what you all do. Hmm. Thank you. So the the Institute is a nonprofit organization um, situated in the greater Johannesburg area. Um, our, Our mission really is to be intentional about weaving narrative therapy and pastoral theology sort of into a meaningful narrative of care for the South African context. We really do believe collectively as a group and individually that everyone, regardless of of race, religion, sexual orientation, economic status, really are entitled to the very best care that we can offer, whether that's in a therapeutic, sacred or a learning space. Um, And so what supports us are some of our core values, which include inclusivity, collaboration, um, acceptance, hospitality, generosity, and, and respect. That's great. And, and yeah, you mentioned narrative therapy. I, I'm, I'm guess I'm curious, uh, how did you come into the practice of narrative therapy? Mm. I first encountered the, the idea of narrative therapy whilst I was studying um, sort of mainstream psychology in the late 90s, um, and it intrigued me. Um, but it wasn't until a bit later, um, I'm a practicing Christian belonging to a local Methodist congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my initial narrative training actually happened at our pastoral care center. Um, the, the head of the center at the time, Reverend Trevor Hudson, um, himself a student of narrative, felt it best suited the, the pastoral needs at our church. Um, and so that, that training for me really was the beginning of a, of a love affair. Um, and it's directed all of my subsequent education and training. Um, interestingly, Chris, um, narrative therapy was primarily introduced to South Africa in the 80s by and through churches and pastoral care work. Mm. I think that makes us quite unique in the narrative world. Yeah, absolutely. And which kind of leads us into maybe my next question is, uh, you, you say you kind of come, come more from the pastoral counseling um, perspective. And I'm wondering, uh, for our listeners, can you talk about how maybe pastoral counseling differs from maybe kind of traditional mental health professionals? I think in in South Africa, um, firstly, there's a professional body component. So um, locally, the work of pastoral counselors and therapists is not recognized by the Health Professions Council. Mm. Um, So as a result, we belong to different councils. Um, I don't think we we are unique in the power relationship between the human sciences and religion in in that aspect. Um, But in terms of practice, pastoral therapy is essentially 
um, comfortable in integrating the client's spirituality alongside the cognitive, emotional and physical um, in a way that I don't believe perhaps more traditional health professionals do. Um, so for, for pastoral work, particularly in the context of narrative pastoral work, um, it's about considering that if relationships are important to a person's well-being, why would a spiritual relationship be left out? Right. Um, so I guess that the invitation of, of combining um, body, mind, and soul um, is, is more encompassed under the, the pastoral therapy than it would perhaps be under more traditional ways of working. Yeah, and, and there's a, I guess, uh, there's a well-known story um, that I wanted to share um, f from family therapist uh, here in the States, um, Froma Walsh, that I know some of, uh, some of our listeners will know of, uh, where she recounts how she worked with a family to kind of grieve the unexpected death of their father, who was a very popular pastor. And she kind of then went on to lecture on and write about the case as a successful family treatment. And during one of her presentations, uh, a student asked, like, what happened to the, the, the spirituality after the father's death? And Walsh kind of goes on to say that she found herself at a loss for words. And she actually wrote that, I, this is for her words, I couldn't believe that I had not considered the spiritual dimension of family loss, especially in a case in which the father had been a Christian minister and the family's life had been centered on their church community. In many presentations of the case, no clinical colleague or student had ever raised the subject. It was as, as, as if all consciousness of spirituality had been erased by our clinical training. And that's really powerful to me, this idea of like spirituality being erased by our clinical training. And, and I guess I'm wondering what your thoughts are about why mm. counselors and therapists have often treated client morality or spirituality as off limits in the therapy room. Mm. That, that comment of hers, um, you know, that the clinical training seems to have erased the consciousness of spirituality was quite intriguing for me as well. Um, and I, I wondered whether this doesn't speak directly to the almost the oppositional relationship between human science and, and religion. Right. You know, the, the history of, of psychology and the human sciences really does exist mainly within the paradigm of modernism and empiricism. And how do we quantify spiritual mystery in the unseen? Mm. You know, except that what this does, however, is then silence the, the voice of, of faith and spirituality and religion. So for someone like myself, trained and, and working in a pastoral narrative context, it's it's likely to be one of the first wonderings that I would have about that family um, situation, that family story. Um, so I, I think it has definitely has to do with... Um, the paradigm of, of thought, you know, of, of um, modernism versus perhaps some of the, the pre-modern ideas and, and certainly post-modern. Hmm. Yeah, and, and also I guess um, I'm starting to see now there, I guess there is a kind of a growing movement. I'm starting to see what appears to be a growing interest in client spirituality, at least in the context I'm in. And I guess, do you have any thoughts on why this is and how these interests can be supported and grown? I, I think from from um, what I see in, in the work in South Africa, perhaps it's because a lot more of us are working within postmodern paradigms now, um, which essentially allows the, 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 the client, the person that we're journeying with to kind of bring that 
outside of themselves into conversation. Um, I also have a, a wondering whether it doesn't also have to do with some of the younger generations and, and how different they are viewing um, aspects of their life, like spirituality, you know, making it more spoken about and bringing it into um, the domain of, of conversation. Whereas perhaps in, in years gone by, that would have been considered something private and something that we can speak about. Yeah, that's great. Um, you, you work from a narrative perspective. And uh, again, at least in the context that I kind of move through, I, I've noticed or I understand there's been some tension at the intersection of maybe postmodern, post-structural practice and religion, which is, you know, known for a lot of different discourses, right? And I'm wondering how you, mm. as, as a counselor, navigate this tension. Mm. I think I also hold the awareness that there are tensions within different religious practices as well. You know, those of us working from um, a postmodern paradigm versus those of us working from a rather conservative um, idea. So I don't think it's unique necessarily to um, postmodernism. Sure. Um, but I, I, I think in, in, in the work that, that I do as a, a narrative pastoral therapist is really trying to navigate the tensions by separating um, the theoretical wranglings from the practice of, um, so kind of figuring out a way of, of doing pastoral work, doing narrative work rather than getting caught up in, in the nitty-gritty of some of the, um, the theory. Um, I'm in, in my own life, I'm, I'm more feminist, liberal, and contextual than perhaps some of my peers who are more traditional and fundamental in view anyway. Mm. Um, so I do think that that plays a role for me in trying to separate um, how I work. Um, I also like to, to explore the, the common ground. You know, so much of what I've learned through narrative resonates with the way Jesus encountered people of his time. He was inclusive and, and he intentionally sought out some of the marginalized and the silenced. And he's well known in, in the writings of the New Testament for, for challenging power and dominant discourse and the taken for granted beliefs of the time. Right. So by all accounts, he was quite radical too. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's about separating the theory from the, the, the praxis. Got it. Okay, so I recently, and this is why it's really, I was happy, uh, looking forward to speaking with you, because um, this is a subject that I'm also interested in. And I, I'd recently had a book chapter published uh, with a couple of co-authors where we were interested in intentionally critiquing the ways religion and sexual orientation gets situated as opposing within our narrative, cultural narratives. And in, in writing this, we were interested in highlighting ways that we believe families can create paths that allow them to maintain a meaningful connection to one another and to a religious faith that has served as a foundation. And I'm wondering if you could say something about how you work with these places of tension, like religion and sexual orientation, for example. And there's many others, of course. Yes. Um, I, I thank you for, for sending me the, the chapter um, that you did. I really resonate with your writings. Thank you. Um, and I think it, it really supports my own thinking um, on the importance of relationship, you know, relationships in that context, insofar as the relationship the person has with themselves, the relationship with family and, and community, and then the relationship with God or, or a spiritual divine. Um, so pastorally, I, I also like to explore the, the idea of the image of God that is present, um, kind of borrowing from some of the Ignatian practices mm -hmm. um, and that's both for the individual and for the family you know what 
what image of God do I have and what informed this image and how might this image influence how I see the world and how I see myself and how the world sees me. Um, so my image of God will also affect the relationship, uh, relationship that I have with God. Um, so that, that's kind of an area of, of the, the partial narrative that, that we like to work with as well. Um, also, on, on a personal note, when, when we're running training um, and we're offering the, the, the weaving together of, of narrative and, and pastoral, it's just to remind um, our students that, that Scripture teaches us that we're all made in the image of God. There are no exceptions, you know, um, or that Jesus in the New Testament tells us to love one another as he loved us. There's no record of him saying, love one another except if you're gay, black, female, um, so it, 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 it's something that we work really hard, that I work really hard to try and create safe space for that person to, to be who they are mm -hmm. and to be able to in some way start reconciling that to being a beloved child of God as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, as a therapist or as counselors, therapists, we are often asked to work with people who hold strong religious beliefs and or find themselves under the influence of oppressive religious discourse, right? So I'm wondering what you mm -hmm. think are some of the possibilities and challenges kind of from these two perspectives, and there's many others, but from these two perspectives um, in, in kind of counseling conversations, what do you think are... Uh, how do you kind of work from when somebody's holding a strong religious belief and then also people that mm. I'm sure you've um, worked with a lot of people that have been harmed by a particular religious discourse. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and for me, it, it's quite important. Um, the, the challenge is not to allow my own um, spiritual identity to influence conversation in any way to try and maintain some sense of neutrality so that it creates safe space for the person to express um, to express their own experience whether it's been um, you know oppressive or, or dominant or um, whether they found themselves under the influence of, of any of those kind of ideas um, the, the possibilities of course is, is really to to be able to follow good narrative practice um, to allow the person to to share their story, um, to to explore it, to ask the questions, you know, to perhaps to challenge some of the taken for granted beliefs. Um, also, one one of the ways that, that I like to work is to almost invite scripture um, or um, the third person in, into the room um, to start creating conversations around that. And I, I guess essentially that that also then ties back, refers back to the person's image of God. Um, the history of it, the effects of it, um, and how that might be different, how that might take on an alternative or a preferred um, a preferred story, be a bit different. Can, you, you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but I maybe, maybe if you can go in a little more in depth. You know, Kim Barker writes about uh, insiderness and outsiderness in, the, in this work and the mm -hmm. kind of maybe this pastoral counseling work. And, I, and how they can both be helpful and problematic. And, I'm, and, and as a Christian woman, I mean, I'm wondering, can you share mm -hmm. how you move between these spaces, kind of going inside and then outside? Sure. Um, I have to hold on to the fact that I am an insider insofar as um, sharing the Christian faith. Right. Um, but I think that the danger of, of being an, or having an insiderness aspect to my own story means that it's quite easy to 
get caught up in the, the shared language of church, the kind of church speak, if you like, hmm. um, and to make generalizations and assumptions based on that. Right. Um, so inside of this, might try and recruit me to a shared frame of reference with the person that I'm I'm with. Um, so I, I have to hold on to the, the narrative that which invites me to come from a position of not knowing. And so even though I might have my own meaning for churchy words, my own understanding of those churchy words, I cannot assume that the client shares that that meaning. Right. So I rely on curiosity, questions, and deconstruction, kind of in order to try and stand against the insideness um, that could become problematic. Mm. And then there's also the the perceived power dynamic that, that folk often assume that because I work at a church, um, I have a spiritual hotline, I'm a scripture off my heart, or closer to God than, than they are. So it's dealing with with those aspects of insideness as well, which might not be helpful. Um, outsideness can be maintained, I think, by following good narrative practice, by being by asking the questions, by not assuming I know what a word such as grace or favor or blessing means to the person I'm with. Yeah, that's great. I, um, and some of those are so easy, uh, even when in our training of when, when I'm working in supervision and training, it's so easy to take some of those um, for granted, right? And have an, make an assumption that we know yeah. what they speak of, right? Uh, yes. And lose our curiosity. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So I, I have another question. Uh, something I, I just guess I want your kind of, pers- or I, I would hope maybe to ask for your perspective, something I'm kind of wrestling with lately. I've been seeing some different stuff around hope. And I know... Um, oftentimes we're asked to kind of work with hope and I'm and maybe even more so in maybe a pastoral counseling uh, context. Um, and I'm seeing hope, I've seen people being critical of hope, right? That hope can set people up or lead to disappointment or even betray mm-hmm. people. But I'm also seeing other mm-hmm. kind of conceptions of hope like Kata Weingarten's reasonable hope or uh, Roshi yes. jo- Joan Halifax, a, a Buddhist priest, talks about a wise hope, or and I've even seen an, recently an active hope. Um, and I'm wondering how um, you work with hope, or how you might conceptualize that, or what, what your thoughts are about that. Mm. I, I think it's it's twofold. There's a sense for me that that as a pastoral um, therapist. I always hold on to an element of hope for the person that I'm journeying with. Mm. Um, I hope that um, they will manage to live into a preferred story, a preferred identity, an alternative story. Um, but definitely holding that tension with the some of the religious discourse around, so I had hope and the hope let me down. Now what? Where, where does that leave me in terms of my religion? Um, so I've actually, Kata Weingarten is, is one of my um, favorite practitioners oh, um, and, and her article on reasonable hope has actually been really helpful to me um, in this, you know, the idea that, that hope doesn't have to be um, infinite. Um, we can actually break it down into doing hope, making it, it active, that there are small measures that we can do to work towards a greater hope. Um, and that sometimes that, that hope gets shaped between, between people. Sometimes it might be my responsibility to hold on to hope um, in moments of, of deep struggle for the other. Um, but I guess that that's one of those um, 
um, can be one of those religious constructs that is, is often um, abused, I think. Mm. Um, it becomes some of that churchy language that we spoke about um, earlier that can lead us into um, marginalizing people's experiences. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I guess my f final question, I know, and this, this could be interesting for a lot of our listeners, that you have a training coming up that people, even though you're located in South Africa, people could do online, right? Um, that would introduce people to a lot of these ideas and the work. And um, I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about that and how they might be able to get a hold of you and participate in that training. Thank you. Um, yes, we're about to to um, embark on a two-year advanced certificate tra training in pastoral narrative therapy, which starts at the end of January. Um, it's a course that's accredited with the University of Pretoria. Um, and so it offers sound theory and practice in pastoral theology and narrative therapy. Um, students who are able to meet, we meet weekly for lectures and engagement. Um, but the online opportunity is also there for, for folk from around the world. Um, we work in conjunction with a pastoral centre in Pretoria, Corindeo, um, and they're offering the online components that people can sign up to to be part of that weekly um, instead of physically meeting um, in the lecture room. Um, the, the Institute also offers shorter participatory courses and workshops and monthly reading groups and and we really love the work we do around sacred spaces as well. So creating retreats and quiet day opportunities for, for people. Um, maybe I could just mention, Chris, that we have a website. Yes, please. www.i, thanks, www.i, the number four, cc.co.za. Um, please check us out and, and be in touch with us. Yeah, and uh, listeners, I will um, have links in the show notes um, of all of Nicole's stuff so uh, you can access that. And uh, Nicole, I just want to say thank you again for making the time um, and sharing with us. This is, like I said, a, a, a topic that's very interesting to me personally. So, uh, so thank you for that. Mm, it's a great pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. Well, that's our show. And once again, uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, I hope uh, you have, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a resolution person, but I'm kind of an intentions person. So I don't know what you do, but whatever you do, great. If you don't do anything, that's great too. But I hope, uh, I hope that you're shaping up early, well for you so far, and, uh, and uh, you're going to go do what you want to do and, and go live that preferred life. So uh, so look for us. Uh, if you want to get in contact with me, just shoot me an email at theradicaltherapist at gmail.com or find me on Instagram, the Facebook, uh, the website at theradicaltherapist.com. And I love to hear from listeners. So any feedback appreciated. And I always have stickers. So if you want some stickers, let me know. Um, yeah, so that's it. As always, my name is Chris Hoff, and this has been the Radical Therapist Podcast. And thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.